0: Marcus Aurelius lived a very eventful life. Most of us know him as a Stoic philosopher, but he was also a slave owner. Many Christians would be put to death under his reign. He was adopted at the age of 17 by a future emperor, and at 40 he becomes the most powerful man in the world. At 59, his life is complete. Let's go understand the history of Marcus Aurelius. Maybe you got lost somewhere swimming too far off the beach, off the coast like- Hello everyone welcome to the cause my name is rob and today we're going to be going over the eighth book the second volume of the harvard classic series finally finishing up the second volume so excited about that we're going to be diving into the history of marcus aurelius so marcus has left us a history that is lasted generations he was born in rome in 121 a.d on the 26th of april his father's name was aeneas virus and he would actually die in 124 a.d when Marcus was really young. So Marcus would have been about three years old at the time. His mother's name was Domitia or Lucilla, and he would later be adopted by Antoninus Pius in what I think was more of a succession plan by Hadrian. Emperor Hadrian would adopt Antoninus Pius, who was around the age of 52 at the time of the adoption. And then after that, Hadrian would declare Antoninus Pius successor to the Roman Empire and on the same day, Antoninus Pius would go on to adopt Marcus Aurelius, who was around the age of 17 at the time. Antoninus Pius would also adopt Sionius Commodus, and excuse me if I mess up any of these names, I'm trying my best here, which would become Marcus's adopted brother. Hadrian seems to have set this adoption process up on the same day to ensure who the next rulers were going to be in the empire after him. Marcus's real name at birth was Marcus Aeneas Verus, after his father. Marcus would later take the name though of Marcus Aurelius Verlus. The name Aurelius belonged to Hadrian and Aurelius would belong to Antoninus Pius. Marcus would later drop Verus altogether and his name eventually became what we kind of know him as today. Marcus Aurelius Antoninus or just Marcus Aurelius. I hope that's not too confusing. It took me a few readings to go through there and get his name squared away in my head because what happens is these emperors would start to take on other people's names later in life once they became emperor and stuff like that. So everybody kind of has the same, like, name, it seems like. Kind of confusing. Marcus started off life very fortunate. Uh, one unfortunate thing would happen early on, which would be the passing of his father. And besides that, it seems like he had a really good upbringing. So his father dies when he's very young, and he's left to the care of his mother. Lucilla. Now, his mom was wealthy, and she would have connections to all the noble noble individuals in Rome. She inherited a fortune, and she also inherited a brick and tile factory about 40 miles north of Rome, and this place supplied bricks for all the monuments down in Rome, such as the Colosseum and, and others. Marx would actually later inherit this same brick factory as well, so a lot of people don't realize that, but he owned a brick and tile factory Uh, with all the other things he accomplished in life. Antoninus Pius would be Marcus's uncle through the marriage of Marcus's dad's sister, Faustina which would be the elder. His uncle Pius would fortunately treat him very, very well. Marcus had the best education and training that you could ask for during this time. By the age of 11, he takes on the dress of a philosopher, which was kind of plain and more simple. It wasn't like this elegant, noble-type dress. And he would study hard, and he'd eventually stumble upon the sect of the Stoics. Uh, he studied law, which I feel, you know, from our founding generations, pretty much anybody going into to govern an empire needs to study law. So he he definitely studied law. And he speaks highly of all these teachers in meditations and, and the people that kind of helped influence his life. You can tell they all had a major impact in his life growing up, from his mom to his adopted uncle to all of his teachers. You can tell he really valued education and he valued the aspect of learning. Moving into Hadrian Pius and Marcus. Hadrian would die in July of 138, and Antoninus Pius would succeed him. After that, Marcus would marry Faustina the Younger, who was the daughter of Antoninus Pius and Faustina the Elder. That would make Faustina Marcus's cousin, so they kind of kept it tight in the family, you know what I mean? They would go on to have their first daughter in 147 AD, and afterwards, from Antoninus Pius, Marcus would receive the title of Caesar and would start being associated with the ruling family, kind of, you know, showing him the ropes and how everything kind of works around the empire. So it makes you wonder, did he marry Faustina out of love, or was it just one of those chess games in life to get to the next place? It's all up for interpretation. It's said that Antoninus Pius and Marcus had a great, great relationship, and Uncle Pius loved Marcus like his own son. Uncle Pius would die in March of 161 AD, and the two heirs, Marcus and his adopted brother Commodus would both become emperors. This would be the first time in Roman history that two emperors would rule together. It's said that Commodus was an indolent man unworthy of his station. Antoninus, however, bore with him, and it is said that Commodus had sense enough to pay his colleague the respect due to his character. A virtuous emperor and a loose partner, live together in peace. And I honestly respect Commodus for that, because if you know you don't have the ability to govern or something like that, by all means let somebody else do it that is capable and competent and confident enough to do it. I don't look down on Commodus for allowing that to happen. I, I I think that's actually very noble in his case. Trouble would strike his reign in two blows During the first few years, one was the war with the Parthians, which they would actually win in 165 AD. The other was a plague that swept through Rome and would spread through Western Europe. A third issue would arise in the north. The barbarians above the Alps, the Germanic regions, would start to threaten the empire. Commodus would sadly die in 169 AD, leaving Marcus as the sole ruler. During the Germanic Wars, Marcus would actually live with the army, along the Danube and the Carnuntum in what is modern-day Austria. He would reside up there for about three years, until one of his generals out in the Middle East caught a little case of the Benedict Arnold and betrayed him. Avidius Cassius? would declare himself Augustus, but he would shortly be assassinated by some of his other generals. Before knowing that he was assassinated, Marcus Aurelius would start making his way over to the Middle East. And on this trip to get his house back in order, his wife dies at the foot of the Taurus Mountains, which is in Turkey. Now, this is not in the book by by George Long here, but there are some rumors about Faustina, Marcus's wife, and Cassius that resemble some soap opera drama that. I'll let you kind of dive into on your own if you want. But Marcus is said to have grieved his wife, and he's deeply moved by her passing. But questions have risen over the centuries about her fidelity and other knightly escapades that may have went on behind Marcus's back. But honestly, from the history I know of Rome, and judging by the standards of today, we cannot expect the Roman standards of fidelity to be put on a high pedestal. Some things we think of as wrong today have been associated with being acceptable in the past. So during this period, Marcus would step foot in Egypt, Syria, and then he'd head back through Greece back to Rome. In 176 AD, Marcus's son Commodus would start being associated more with the empire and he would take the name of Augustus. And then in 177 AD, we have a event that brings Christianity into the mix. Attalus and other Christians were put to death in Lyon, which is in the eastern central part of France. The governor there took it upon himself to torture and kill many of the Christians, but from the letters of Eusebius, we find that he actually did reach out to Marcus Aurelius looking for some advice. What do I do with these people? And it said that the letter from the imperial rescript says that the Christians were to be punished, but if they denounced their faith they could be set free. This doesn't seem to be executed very well, and the Roman Christians were all beheaded. The remainder would be fed to the wild beasts in the amphitheater. And a man named Sanctus, as the letter says, was burnt with plates of hot iron till his body was one sore and had lost all human form. But on being put on the rack, he recovered his former appearance under the torture, which was thus a cure instead of a punishment. He was afterwards torn by beasts and placed on an iron chair and roasted. He died at last. This was not a good time for the Christians. And I often wonder, what makes humans become so divided that we can actually do things like this to one another? George Long, the author of these last two uh, little excerpts in the, the volume two, says that, But the fact is certain that in the time of Marcus Antoninus, the heathen populations were in open hostility to the Christians, and that under Antoninus's rule, men were put to death because they were Christians. One thing we have to remember here is... The Romans believed that the Christians were atheists because they did not believe in the gods of the state. They believed in Christianity's God. So you'll hear that they're being punished because they're atheists a lot of times if you're reading through uh, some some of these older books. You have to just remember that the Romans thought of the Christians as basically atheists. And this is one of the most important concepts of history. We have the option at this point to cancel Marcus Aurelius and delete him from history. Or we can go through and we can study the good things and we can study the bad things, and we can learn from them both. At this point, the Germanic Wars are still raging, and Marcus Aurelius again heads north, and in 179 AD, they win a huge battle. But during this period, Marcus Aurelius comes down with a sickness, and he would die in what is today Vienna. His death would come on the 17th of March, 180 AD. He would be 59 years old. For some reason, I always thought he was a little bit older, but uh, I didn't realize he died that young. At this point, his body would be elevated to the status of a god in Rome statues, busts, and all kinds of things would be created in his honor, and probably one of the most famous that's still standing today is the Antonine Column, uh, which was erected by Commodus, his son, in his father's memory. There's two things I like to note here. One, why did Marcus Aurelius not find a better successor to the Roman Empire than his son, whom he had to have known probably was not up for the task? And two, it's crazy to think that if Marcus Aurelius' dad had not have passed away at a young age, he most likely would have not been adopted by Antoninus Pius, which in that case, he would have never became become emperor of the Roman Empire, and we never would have heard of him. So I was thinking about this. I haven't really read it anywhere, but the, the passing of his dad allowed him to achieve the status that he did in some weird way. It made me think that sometimes the universe works in ways we do not understand at the time, but in due time, it reveals the purpose which cannot be seen in the present. With that being said, I wanna move into the history of meditations, like the actual book real quick. Uh, This is kind of fascinating, I I at least thought. The true title of Marcus's book was not meditations. They actually don't know what the title was, if there was even a title at all. Exlander was the first to publish the first edition in Zurich in 1558. He published this book in Latin form from a manuscript that included all 12 books, but sadly, that manuscript has been lost to history. We don't, we don't really know where it's at anymore. The only other complete manuscript of all 12 books is housed in the Vatican's library, but it does not have a title and it doesn't have any descriptions with the books or anything like that. There are three Florentine excerpts of Marcus's writings that are not complete, but they agree with the full version that is housed in the Vatican. No one can really tell whether Marcus separated his meditations into different books as it is now. Uh, it could have been done by, you know, whoever compiled these papers later down the road. And for some reason I've always had this idea that there was just one book that Marcus Aurelius probably. You know, wrote in. But after kind of reading through the history of it, I think it's more just scattered papers. He would write wherever he was at. And I don't know if there was a single book that had everything in it. It could have been just papers that were compiled by people after his death into one single uh, meditations type journal. No one really knows for sure. And to wrap it up, Marcus lived a life that is worth examining and how he wanted to live life I think is what's most important. We all know kind of what we should be doing, but it's hard sometimes to take that action to actually do the correct thing. Marcus's life was not all rainbows and butterflies. It was smeared with hate from barbarians, corruption of generals, the death of family members, corrupt politics and a son that would not live up to the standards of Marcus Aurelius. In a sense, his life is our lives. We will all experience different levels or degrees of everything he experienced. And there's also a philosophy section at the end of Volume 2 that goes into the philosophy of Marcus Aurelius. It cites different works and it's hard to read. It It pulls a lot of stuff from Meditations and even Epictetus, so it's kind of repetitive on stuff we've already covered. Um, it's it's a lot of cites, it's a lot of references, so I'm going to stay away from making a video on that one. Uh, it's only like 20 pages long. You can read through it pretty quickly if you want to. I don't think it would come out well in a video format, so I'm going to stay away from that one. I truly hope you enjoyed. The history of Marcus Aurelius, remarkable individual, and this is just the cliff notes of his life. You can dive down into any of these facets of it, and it's it just it goes so deep. If you find these videos enjoyable or helpful, please consider liking, commenting, subscribing, and sharing. Doing all that, it helps the algorithm, gets these videos pushed out there. I love hearing from you in the comments. I've learned a lot already. Y'all have sent me on some rabbit holes. Where I've went and dove down different things, and I, I truly enjoy it. It's, it's been nice getting to meet y'all down there. We move into Volume 3 next with Bacon and Milton. Truly looking forward to that. I think it's going to be a fun journey going through those. And again, if you enjoy coffee just as much as you enjoy reading classics, then I highly suggest you go down to the link in my description and check out my coffee. I source all the green myself. I roast it all here in my roastery. I package it and then I ship it out to you. The link to my website is in the description below. You can use code THECAUSE for 50% off your first order. And with that being said, I love you and I hope you all stay blessed. Go drink some amazing coffee, read some amazing books, and I will see you next week. Love y'all. Thank y'all. I was making lots of noise busking on the city streets. I came back from Brooklyn, but you didn't come back for me